Let's turn in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not 
to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his infallible truth tonight. Now my text tonight is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and <coughs> wisdom of God. And my subject tonight is to ponder the victory of the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was one of the truly great men ever to walk the face of this earth in the first century besides the Lord Jesus. He was a spiritual giant among men, a man whose exploits for God filled the pages of the New Testament. In fact, over half of the New Testament books were written by him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Even before his conversion to Christ, he had a very distinguished and eminent background. By way of testimony, he, he said this himself in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Then he adds, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Here was a man who was well educated, a man who possessed a quick and clear, ready mind, a man full of energy and zeal, a man of extraordinary talents and gifts, a man, of course, who had a glorious conversion on the road to Damascus and testified that he'd received Christ as Lord and Saviour. This was a man who, from the day he got saved, set out to serve Jesus Christ, a man who stood head and shoulders above many others that labored in the work of the Lord. He, he testified, if I could paraphrase, line up the men that served Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the truth, that I labored more than them all. This spiritual giant of the Lord also suffered more than any other man. Like all godly men, he had his enemies and critics within the church and even without the church. Without the church, ungodly men vowed to kill Paul and would have succeeded only the Lord protected him. His crime, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even inside the church at Corinth, they had his critics and those who spoke against him. They said he was a bald-headed little man. He was of small stature and contemptible speech. And yet, in the church at Corinth, this was his theme. This was the motto of his life. Notice what he says in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, that's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. But unto them which are called, that's called in the gospel, 
both Jews and Gentiles, Christ that we preach. He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the motto, I believe, for every true gospel preacher and gospel-believing church. We preach Christ crucified. In fact, that's emblazoned on the wall above the pulpit of our Martyrs Memorial Congregation. And in using that, we preach Christ crucified. I'm convinced that he was wanting to get across the message, the victory of the cross. Now you're probably familiar with the two letters VC. And you will know that the letters VC, of course, stand for the Victoria Cross. The Victoria Cross is the highest military declaration awarded for valor in the face of the enemy to members of the armed forces of various commonwealth countries and previous British Empire territories. The Victoria Cross takes precedence over all other orders, declarations and medals. And I was thinking about the VC. Where did it come from? Who instituted it? Why was it awarded? Is there not a clue in its name? Victoria Cross? It was introduced, young people, by Queen Victoria on the 29th of June, 1856. It was to honour acts of valour during the Crimean War. We're hearing a lot about the territory of the Crimea today. And since then, this medal has been awarded 1,357 times to 1,354 individuals. Now, this is the centenary year of the First World War. And did you know that in the First World War, the Victoria Cross was awarded 627 times? During the Battle of the Saw, it was awarded 52 times. Only 14 medals since World War II have been awarded. Ten medals to members of the British Army and four medals to the Australian Army. The gun medal, it's alleged, derives from Russian cannons captured at the siege of Sevastopol. And also perhaps Chinese cannons that were captured from the Russians during the Crimea War. And due to its rarity it's highly sought after some of these medals fetch up to four hundred thousand pounds at auction so if you know anybody that has the victoria cross and doesn't want it anymore wants to donate it then i'll be quite happy to take it and auction it and we'll donate the money to the church but did you know this that during the first day of the Battle of the Somme, the 1st of July, 1916, nine soldiers were given the Victoria Cross for bravery. Three of them were Ulster men, three for Northern Ireland. If you go to the Craig Estate in Belfast, you'll see a mural, a mural, sorry, of these three men. I, I, let me name them. Robert Quick. If you're ever speaking to Ernie Patterson, he would tell you about Ernie Quick or Robert Quick. Robert Quick was a Bush Mills man. Ernie talks about re Robert Quick. 
He survived the Battle of the Somme. He returned home to Bush Mills. He lived to his age 70 and he died at 1955. Seven times Robert Quigg went back into no man's land and every time he came back he carried out a wounded soldier with him. He had promised Sir John McNaughton uh, his son was an officer in the First World War and he promised that he would bring him home one way or the other. And that's why he went out into no man's land looking for John McNaughton's son. And for that bravery, he was awarded the VC. Another man was Eric Bell, 20 years of age. He died for king and country. He was from Enniskillen and County Fermanagh. And another man was William uh, McFadgen. He was from Lurgan. He was also aged 20. He was a member of the 14th Battalion of the Royal Irish Reg Rifles. And why was he awarded the VC? He was preparing a box of bombs. They slipped somehow in the concentration camp that they were. And they fell into the trench. And some of the safety pins, at least two of them, had fallen out. And what William did was he threw himself on top of the bombs, blew himself to pieces, and he saved his comrades. Amazingly, only one of them was injured. Now here's just three members at the Psalm who were awarded the VC. How can we forget their heroism? How could we forget their sacrifice? The Bible tells us, remember the battle. Here's important sacrifices. Here's men who's made the supreme sacrifice for king and country. Um, supreme sacrifice for our free, civil and religious liberty. And we thank God for their sacrifice. And it's right and proper that we remember them. It's right and proper they were rewarded with the VC for their bravery. It's right that they got a medal to, to, to say how brave they were. But you know the Victoria Cross that even these men were awarded peels into insignificance in light of the victorious cross of Christ. And that's what we want to think about tonight. The victory of the cross of Christ. Look again at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Notice the declaration of the cross of Christ, but we preach. You see, whenever the apostle talked about um, the preaching of the cross in verse um, 17, he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Again in verse 21, it says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Whenever he thought about the, the preaching of the cross, he wasn't thinking about the wooden gibbet on which Christ was nailed to and put to death on in Mount Calvary. That's not what Paul meant. That's certainly not what he gloried in. He didn't say that he gloried in a mere piece of wood. And of course, we reject the Roman Catholic Church's adoration of the crucifix. We say it's profane. We would go further and say it's, it's blasphemous. And of course... Uh, for Protestant churches even to have an emblem of an empty cross and say, well, this is a sign of Christ's finished work. 
We have to say to them, well, we're sorry, but that's a departure from the principles of the Reformation. That's really a step back because Christ only left his church two emblems whereby he was to be remembered, and that is the bread and the wine. Uh, and whenever Paul speaks about the cross, he, he's not just thinking about the afflictions and the trials upon which Christ had to go through uh, while he, he was alive or while he was being crucified. When, when he thinks about we preach, preaching of the cross, he is thinking about the teaching that Christ died for, our, for sinners. He, he, he's thinking about the atonement of Christ, that he made for, for, for us who are vile, guilty, hell-deserving sinners. That's the very heart. That's the very marrow. That's the very cream and essence of Paul's theology. He, he, he says in verse um, uh, 4 or, or, or 2 of, of 2 Corinthians, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you see, that is the solemn duty of every gospel preacher. Paul says what we preach. He's thinking of himself as a preacher and those who stood alongside him as gospel preachers. And not only the responsibility and duty of uh, a gospel preacher, but every true gospel believer. It is their solemn duty as well of being a herald, of making a declaration of Christ on the cross. It's the duty of the preacher. Yes, it's the duty of the people of God. Every believer, it's our duty to preach and present the cross of Christ. To remind the people of the great and once and for all sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Now, now how do we do that? Surely we do it by the sharing of the gospel with our lips and the showing of the gospel in our lives. The great Leonard Ravenhill, uh, who wrote many good books for the edification of the people of God, he, he says today that the, the modern church seems to be fishing in a bar. If you could imagine going fishing and just having a barrel filled with water and a few fish in it, and you've got your rod and you've got your line and you've got your net, and you're trying to catch some fish. And then ask yourself, well, well, where do we go fishing? Surely the simple plain answer would be you go where the fish are. And where do we go sharing the gospel? Where do we go showing the gospel? We share the gospel and show the gospel among the people that we meet every day. The people that we rub shoulders with. You young people who are saved and love the Lord Jesus. The, the young people that you meet at school and at university. The people that we meet at the workplace. The, the people that we meet on the factory floor. Yes, I believe there's a place for open air preaching. But there's also a place for just sharing the gospel with all that we come in contact with on a daily basis. The word preach here means to, to make an announcement as a herald. You've got to think of the town crier. In a day whenever there was no telephones and newspapers or internet and they wanted to get an important message out in the town, well, he, he went into the square or up and down the streets and he cried. We live in a day, sadly, when there's lovely ornate churches throughout the land. 
There's many churches that we could describe as architecturally beautiful. But the reality is that Christ is never mentioned in them. And if he is mentioned, he's mentioned in such a way that there's no clear presentation of the heart and the soul and the marrow or the essence of the true good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We sang there, O oh, teach me what it meaneth, the cross uplifted high, with one the man of sorrows, condemned to bleed and die. O oh, teach me what it meaneth, that sacred crimson tide, the blood and water flowing from thine own wounded side. Not only when Christ died and who died and the way that he died, but why Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The, the atonement of Christ, the once and for all sacrifice. And that is the central message or ought to be the central message of every true faithful church. The declaration of the cross of Christ. Uh, notice the doctrine uh, of the cross of Christ. Because the uh, cross uh, is given its full title in the book of Galatians. If you look at Galatians chapter 6 and uh, in the verse uh, 14, uh, the, the apostle Paul uh, says this, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now, now, what does that full title mean? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just merely the cross of Christ. Or it's not just merely the cross of Jesus. The word Lord refers to his deity. You see, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was unique. Christ's sacrifice for our sins on the cross was unique. In a sense, his death was supernatural. In another sense, his death was unnatural. Because we're referring to the death of God incarnate. The one who was very God of very God, and yet bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the world. John says, John 1 and verse 14, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and full of truth. And so often we forget and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glorious of the, the, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word Jesus refers to his humanity. And was not the purpose of the incarnation? To what end was he born? Why did God become flesh? He was born to die. And that's a mystery. That's hard to grasp and understand and comprehend, but we ought to believe it. The word Christ refers to, to his ministry. In the 
Old Testament economy of things, the, the priest and the king and the prophet all entered that spiritual office by an anointing. And as Christ entered in to fulfill these three offices, he did so by a special anointing. In the council chambers of eternity, God the Father laid hold upon God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit, and anointed him, and appointed him to be the redeemer of his elect. And and on Mount Calvary, Christ ratified that anointing by his own blood. Isn't this what it says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, for after that in the wisdom of the world, by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down in the right hand of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are brought into a right relationship with Christ as Lord and Savior. In the cross, the hymn writer says, be my glory ever. Why? Because it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the cross, by the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the grace of God comes streaming toward us. And by the, the cross of Christ, the door of salvation is opened unto us. We, we sometimes sing there's a way back to God from the dark pass of sin. There's a door that is open as all make a win. When you come a, a, as a sinner to Jesus at Calvary's cross is where you begin. You see, it's not merely the sign of the cross. It's the sacrifice. It's not merely the emblem that's displayed, but it's the expiation. It's not just about the structure, but it's about the salvation. It's not just the wood, but it's the work. And you see, Paul loved to preach about the cross work of Christ. He walked up and down the, 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 the known world, telling people, not, not only making a declaration, but centering in in the doctrine of the cross. It's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that cross is a sacrifice for sin. John one twenty one. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And whosoever believeth in him, whosoever accepteth Christ by an act of faith, that that redemptive work of Christ that he has accomplished on our behalf is put to our account. You know, there's hundreds of places of worship today. There's a lot of preaching. And they preach everything but the cross of Christ. They've got carved oak windows and doors. They've stained glass. They've sculptured stone. They've images of the cross. But the real cross work is absent. Jesus Christ and him crucified is not proclaimed in the pulpit. The Lamb of God is not lifted up. Salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, is not heard. Men glory in their traditions. They glory in their buildings, in their finances, in their numbers, in their learning, but they don't glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. And their glorious vein, it's empty. I believe that God will prosper the church, and God will bless the ministry, and God will meet with the people that gathers faithfully to believe in and uplift and hold the doctrine of the cross of Christ. Notice one 
two other things. Notice also the design of the cross. But we preach Christ crucified, he says. Crucified. It is not an amazing thing. Paul was a Roman, remember. And he has mentioned this word crucified a couple of times. And to the Romans, this was not just a death, crucifixion. This was the death of the criminal. This was a death to be despised and a death to be rejected. But Paul says we preach Christ crucified. He, he says he was determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think of the design of the cross. And I'm not just thinking of its wood and shape. Why crucifixion? Did you ever think about it? Well, I believe that the cross was designed in such a way that we see that God is love. The Bible says herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for us. You see, at the cross, we see the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of God's great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And if you want to learn that God is love, as the Bible declares, then you've got to go to the cross. Stand there. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when I think about not only the doctrine of the cross, I, I see its design. Christ was crucified, the death of a criminal. Why? To manifest and radiate and command that God is love. Also to declare that God is just. See, the cross of Christ is a great vindication of divine justice. Let me tell you a little story. There was a judge in America. He had a prisoner before him that he knew well. He was an old friend. And he knew that as a judge, he must act impartially. And um, to the friend's dismay, it almost seemed as if he treated his friend unkindly. The judge had a deep respect for the law, and he exacted the, the full penalty for the crime that was committed. And of course, there was gas from the courtroom. The judge knows this man. He's an old friend. Why did he treat him lightly and leniently? And after the judge had fined the man for the offence that he had committed, he went over to the clerk of the court. He took out his wallet and he paid the fine in full for his friend. And in a sense, that's what God did in the person of his dear son. The cross of Christ is a great vindication of divine justice. Justice had to be satisfied. The, the penalty of the broken law had to be fulfilled. See, let's remember the law of God was broken. And sin had to be paid for in full. Sin had to be punished. The penalty of death that was imposed had to be carried out. Love demanded it. Justice demanded it. And that debt to the broken law was laid upon Christ. Paid it in full with every drop of his crimson blood. So we see the justice of God. We also see the wisdom of God. The cross is the great summary of God's wisdom. The 
cross was just not an empty afterthought. The cross was foreordained from all eternity. The cross was in the heart and mind of God from the beginning. Acts 2 and 23. And the cross was necessary for salvation. There was no other way. God didn't say, well, if you pay a million pounds, you'll be saved and get to heaven. He could have said that. But the rich would have paid it. And the poor would have struggled to pay it. He could have said, well, we'll be religious. Read the Bible. Say so many prayers. Do this and do that. And that would have fed man's pride. But there's many in society who, even though they may attempt to religious, be religious, would fall far short of that because of the depravity of their heart. And the wisdom of God devised from all eternity a way of salvation that was open for all who would come in repentance and believe. We also see in the cross where we have designed the wrath of God. Do you want to know how God views sin? How heinous and how black and how exceeding sinful sin is in the sight of God? Then go to the cross. See, if you look at the cross really, you can't think little of sin. You discover that God hates sin. Christ died for our sins. And even when he found that sin uh, imputed to Christ, he treated him accordingly. Isn't that what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21? For he that is God made him that is Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53 and 6, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We see the righteousness of God revealed in the cross. Isn't this what Paul says in, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, he, he, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein, that's in the good news of the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And the center of the gospel, the good news, is the cross of Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also see the grace of God. Undeserving sinners, those that were God's enemies, those that were unjust. Christ died the just for the unjust. We deserve nothing from God but, but everlasting hell. And yet on the cross, Christ accomplished eternal redemption. And sinners are called upon to come. Sinners are called upon to repent. Sinners are called upon to believe. There's many other attributes that we see when we come to the cross and we look at it. Not only its wood, but the work. We, we see this design, and it's multifaceted. And is it any wonder Paul says we preach Christ? He's crucified. Because the, the death of Christ exhibits all these attributes of God. The declaration of the cross, the doctrine of the cross, the design of the cross, the demarcation of the cross, under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. You see, the cross of Christ offended the pride of the Greeks. The Greeks were not allowed to devise their own way of salvation. 
They may want it to pay, they may want it to be religious, they may want to come up with some other scheme, but they weren't allowed to. There was only one way, the cross of Christ. The Greeks were not allowed to devise a salvation of their own. And it was foolishness to them. They, they thought, well, we're wiser than God, we have a better way. We could do this or that. And to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Do you know why? Because they were not allowed to gain salvation by their own moral merit. They thought that merely being Jews and being religious and observing the, 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 the strictness of keeping the Sabbath and offering prayer and reading the scriptures and being a, a, a good member of the church and society, that that was acceptable to God. And they were sincere. Yet the truth is they knew nothing of their sinnership. And because they knew nothing of how sinful they were, they were blind to the need of a saviour. And they stumbled over the cross. The demarcation. The cross stands in the road of life. It's there as a mighty symbol. You could walk past it. You could attempt to climb over it. You, you can treat it with contempt. But it's there and it's a mark of demarcation. It's the dividing thing between you and God. And the only way to God is through the cross work of Christ. And to reject the cross is foolishness or to stumble over it is a sure sign of being in sin and being in the dark and being depraved. What about you tonight? Do you know anything about de declaring the cross of Christ, showing and speaking about the Saviour? Have you thought much about the doctrines, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? God incarnate did this for me. Jesus became a man, a helpless baby, born to bleed and die. Think of his ministry, what he did, all that was involved. We've only scratched the surface. Think of its design, how that God was manifesting his attributes even there in the cross work. And where does the cross fit in as far as your life is concerned? Do you glory in it? Or do you try to get by without it? May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to our hearts this evening.